chapter twenty seven of the widow married a sequel to the widow barnaby by francis milton trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty seven the friendship of mr allen o'donagough and mr foxcroft ripens into confidence mrs allen o'donagough enjoys the gratification of receiving a visit from an old friend her preparations for it and their perfect success her husband and daughter are introduced to lord mucklebury no go my dear fellow i must find out some other scheme said mr foxcroft in a bravado sort of tone as he entered with a swing into the sanctum of mr o'donagough's library matilda perkins has absolutely nothing then how the devil do they contrive to live demanded mr o'donagough knitting his brows with an expression that was by no means conciliatory the money all belongs to the old one replied his friend all then foxcroft you may make just twice as good a thing of it as you hope to do contrive to pick a quarrel with the youngest turn about and fall in love with the eldest and you will exactly find yourself master of all instead of half i presume you are not very particular as to which of the two ladies you get with it no not i but i am not quite such a fool as you seem to take me for o'donagough i had wit enough to hit upon that scheme myself and i tried it too in pretty tolerable good style i can tell you but i might just as well make love to your iron coal-box there as to the old one egad i never saw such a cold-blooded old jade in the whole course of my life she listened very quietly but with just about as much sensibility as a post and the real truth is that women never do listen to love-making when they have got money in the same way as when they have not that is very likely mr foxcroft and probably your own experience has suggested the observation but i must beg leave to observe that it affords vastly little comfort to me under my extremely inconvenient disappointment i should be sorry to press any gentleman uncivilly but you must be aware sir that affairs of this kind are very peculiar as to their immediate consequences my name has just been put down by sir henry seymour at two of the first-rate clubs and you must know that it will be impossible for me to permit our acquaintance to continue under circumstances excuse me mr foxcroft so very disgraceful this was listened to with a wonderful degree of gentleness and equanimity not a shadow of anger appearing on the long-visaged countenance of the ex-lieutenant true o'donagough true as gospel he replied and if bleeding me could pay the money upon my soul i'd hold out my arm for the operation but what on earth can i do my dear sir i have never gone out of the gentleman-like line yet and i should be monstrous sorry to do it because you know it is so devilish hard to get up again but if there is nothing else for it i suppose i must e'en submit and get enrolled among some set of regular equalizers of property god knows i would do anything rather than not settle my account with you well sir that is feeling and speaking exceedingly like a gentleman and i beg to say in return that no man would be more unwilling than myself to harass a man of honour under such circumstances but the fact is foxcroft and you know it very well that if this transaction between us is not closed and settled you are in point of fact placed quite beyond my power to help you i know therefore but of one mode by which i can prove how sincerely i still feel myself your friend but this mode i cannot adopt without placing a degree of confidence in you which the length of our acquaintance perhaps hardly warrants professions at such a moment we all know come easily and therefore if i consent to return the i o u which i hold it must be done upon condition of your immediately giving me proof that you are ready to go all lengths to deserve it name your proofs o'donagough 
exclaimed foxcroft eagerly and with the refreshed aspect of a man to whose parched and despairing lips the revivifying cup of hope is once more offered name your proofs and if i shrink from them proclaim what has passed in every gaming-house in london foxcroft replied mr o'donagough with a very unusual degree of solemnity i will speak to you with the most perfect sincerity the truth is that in order to carry out the purpose i have in view i must trust somebody and it is obvious my good friend that the most eligible person upon whom such a confidence can be reposed must be one whose reputation is in my power this to a man of your capacity and clear comprehension is preface enough and i shall therefore proceed at once to state what i shall require of you the proofs to which i have alluded will be given on your part by the skill and the will with which i shall see you conduct yourself on the first occasion that they may be called for no hungry dog waiting with watery mouth for the scraps expected to fall from his master's hand ever fixed his eye upon that master with sharper eagerness than mr foxcroft now did upon the face of mr o'donagough you may well look anxious to listen to me my good fellow resumed the master of the house with a benignant smile for if i do not greatly miscalculate a much finer career is at this moment about to open before you than you can ever have hoped for during the whole course of your existence in my younger days foxcroft i was once fortunate enough to pass a season in paris under very favourable auspices the wig which it suits me to wear now my good fellow may perhaps render it rather difficult for you to believe what a capital good-looking dashing blade i was some five-and-twenty years ago this helped me very greatly i had one exceedingly serviceable introduction and the rest of my good fortune grew out of it in short i had the entree to some of the best houses in paris by which as i presume you will conjecture i do not mean the mansions either of the richest the highest born or the most illustrious in any of the ordinary and old-fashioned senses of the word but in its way the society i was thrown amongst was perfect and i do not believe that even yet there are many houses in london which receive exactly on the same principle as those of which i speak in paris in the first place high play here is almost entirely confined to the clubs an exceedingly clumsy way of using an exceedingly good thing of the immense advantage and utility of these gambling clubs to society of course nobody in their senses can doubt nevertheless there are many little peculiarities of play among many very fashionable and highly distinguished men which render the variety afforded by meeting quite young players in a private drawing-room extremely convenient and agreeable of such drawing-rooms foxcroft there are abundance in paris and i am determined that there shall at last be one here how it will answer of course remains to be proved but in this as in every other experiment almost everything depends upon the style and manner in which it is made one essential feature in the scheme and one as you will believe never lost sight of in paris is the obtaining by some means or other such a sprinkling of really good company according to common vulgar parlance i mean as may act as a decoy or rather as an authority for the presence of such tyros as are at once perhaps the most difficult to lay hold of and the most valuable when caught in this respect i am very peculiarly well situated and indeed i question whether without this advantage i should ever have ventured upon the scheme at all my wife's connections are as you know of a class that renders the presence of any of them a guarantee for the perfect respectability and bon ton of the salon in which they are seen and though general hubert and his family are at this moment abroad 
frederick stephenson a much more manageable person by the way than the stiff-packed general comes to town immediately after christmas and will i feel no doubt extend to me exactly the sort of protection i want and that too without having the slightest consciousness that he is doing it there is a certain nobleman also an old crony of my wife's who is already in town and has promised to visit her i have inquired about him and find he is the very man for us sufficiently easy and liberal-minded to go wherever he can be amused yet not at all permitting himself to drop out of good society the two men you met here the other day at dinner are each of them in his respective way highly valuable armandyle is one of the best and most gentlemanly players in london and seymour as i am told about the richest quite uncontrolled young man about town of course if i get into the clubs my list will rapidly increase but you must be aware my good friend that let me get who i will here nothing effectual nothing masterly can be done without a coagitator you understand me are you willing to become such with the air of a hero about to pledge his untarnished faith to the maintenance of some noble enterprise mr foxcroft held out his hand and solemnly received that of o'donagough in its grasp let me hold this station near you my most valued friend he said and never shall you repent the choice you have probably perceived something in my manners and in my character which has led you to believe that i am not altogether unworthy of or unfitted for this situation and without unseemingly boasting i may venture to say that you are not deceived i am conscious that i may have many things against me but nevertheless i am conscious also that i possess both faculties and qualities which peculiarly fit me for the task the outline of your scheme is distinctly clear before me the filling up must of course depend upon both circumstances and your own individual inclinations you have mentioned sir henry seymour for instance and there can be no doubt in the world that he is quite a first-rate man to obtain as a frequenter of your salon but between friends i should have thought that you had other projects for him i have a great notion that your beautiful patty has a fancy for him and it would be a capital match o'donagough however that's your concern not mine i can have no objection to your throwing open the preserve as it were and letting us share and share alike if you think that a more profitable scheme than the other why i am not sure that i should foxcroft if that other were fairly in my hands to take or to leave but i doubt it i know perfectly well that the young fellow has been devilish sweet upon her and that the poor little soul is over head and ears in love with him but i strongly suspect that he never thought seriously about her and that he has only been amusing himself by turning her young head for pure fun a suspicion as you will readily believe not very likely to make me spare him at the board of green cloth i have a hold upon him too upon which it is not necessary to enter now that i think will keep him effectually within my reach and as he will serve me as a decoy duck and a pigeon i mean remember in all ways to cultivate his acquaintance and stand well in his eyes it shall not be by fault of mine if you do not replied the faithful associate and presently added with the air of one who was making a very shrewd remark by the way o'donagough that daughter of yours is a charming creature and will count for something you may depend upon it among the attractions of your drawing-room that is exactly what i have been thinking myself foxcroft and to say the truth i am not altogether sorry that there is no chance of her being caught up by this sir henry immediately she is very handsome i never saw finer eyes in my life and when she is a little more used to company she will tell more in a drawing-room than she does now i own that i wish her mother was not quite so large she would be an exceedingly fine woman still if it were not for that 
just such a looking woman as she was when i first knew her is the very best partner a man can have in such a concern as we have been speaking of she has a great deal of talent however and i have no doubt will do exceedingly well there can indeed be no doubt of that replied mr foxcroft impressively and now my dear friend he continued let us come to particulars let me understand exactly your projects your expectations your arrangements it is impossible to doubt for a moment your liberality but in a business of this kind it is absolutely necessary that everything should be openly expressed between the associates as that nothing should be openly expressed beyond them here is pen and ink give me leave to set down from your own lips precisely the terms on which you propose that we should carry on together this admirably imagined scheme yet imagine not from the phrase carry on together that i have any notion of a perfect equality as to the division of what may result from it nothing like it i assure you i am perfectly aware that your stake is greater not to mention that the merit all the merit of originating the plan is your own i say this that you may understand at once the fair and gentlemanly feeling with which i am desirous to proceed and now my dear o'donagough for particulars while this conversation was going on in the library a scene almost equally interesting was passing in the drawing-room mr o'donagough having learnt by some means or other that his lady's former admirer and what was more important as a trait of character the magnificent donor of her shell necklace was in town proposed with what she sensibly felt to be a very generous freedom from all narrow-minded jealousy to take some active measures towards the renewal of an acquaintance from which as she freely confessed she had derived much pleasure but not for the world my dear donny she said on his proposing this not for the world would i wish lord mucklebury to visit here if his doing so would give you uneasiness i will not deny i never have denied that at the time we parted i regretted the unfortunate entanglement abroad which obliged him to leave me but subsequent events have of course reconciled me to this early disappointment and i feel that i could see him now and introduce him to my husband and my child without experiencing any emotion whatever beyond what the purest friendship may authorize very well then my dear mr o'donagough had replied that being the case you shall sit down and write a note to him immediately just saying you know that you should like to return your personal thanks for his having so kindly thought of you in the city of the caesars or something of that kind which shall look light and playful you understand oh perfectly she replied and this light and playful billet produced an answer from the still laughter-loving nobleman which perfectly satisfied mr o'donagough and caused a very animating and youthful sort of flutter to pervade the entire frame of his sensitive wife it was exactly at the time that mr o'donagough was the most earnestly engaged with mr foxcroft in the conversation that has been given above that lord mucklebury made his entree into the drawing-room of his umquile barnaby his lordship's note in promising this visit had said lord mucklebury will take an early opportunity and accordingly mrs o'donagough had sat in state in her fine drawing-room every morning since from midday to the hour of dinner attired with a degree of captivating elegance which it had cost her some hours of meditation to devise her great object was to look as nearly as possible like what she had been some eighteen years before when his lordship had made her poor heart leap like a purpose after a storm by addressing her as mia barnabia in unfading ringlets and unfading rouge she had great confidence and her eyes too she thought had stood the test of time with almost unfading brightness but she could not poor lady 
conceal from herself the disagreeable fact that of late years she had become what friends call en bon point and unfriends corpulent she felt alas that she was unwieldy and that the majestic charpente which had formerly assisted so largely a villainous pun of mr o'donagough's in obtaining for her the epithet of a prodigious fine woman was become by the gradual increase of its fleshy clothing of a size by no means easy to dress gracefully of this she was if not wholly at least in a great degree conscious and to neutralize the effects of this substantial impediment to beauty she had for many days been occupied but unlike her general habit silently occupied on meditating the form and material of the dress in which she should for the first time reappear before the eyes of lord mucklebury the reader need hardly be told at this stage of her history that mrs o'donagough's mind was one of no common order if it had been she would beyond all question have had recourse in this emergency to the ordinary and every way vulgar operation of tight lacing but mrs o'donagough knew better she knew perfectly well that though it may be possible to transfer matter it is beyond human power to annihilate it and although under the circumstances she might have been tempted to exclaim oh that this too too solid flesh would melt she never for a moment was guilty of the folly of hoping that she might be able to make away with it with this right-minded conviction fully impressed upon her she gave herself to the study of her toilette not with the vain hope of lessening her circumference but with the rational intention of rendering it as little conspicuous as possible the general routine thought she must be indistinct the sort of floating maze of drapery ought to envelop such a form as mine in which the eye cannot justly determine where the natural material ends and that of the dress begins a sort of vapoury misty decoration should fall around the shoulders from among which the still handsome face should appear like that charming portrait that i made donny stop to look at the other day where a beautiful head seemed peeping at us through a cloud inspired by this idea the skilful lady set to work and while patty and the page were taking their daily exercise round and round the pavement of berkeley square she contrived to fabricate a dress the capes sleeves flounces and furbelows of which seemed to wander and fall and undulate and rise again till according to her ingenious intention it would have been difficult for the most accurate eye to detect the points where the lady ended and her dress began it was thus that she received lord mucklebury and had she not been already fully satisfied with the result of her own labours and convinced that however enormously large she might be it was not at all likely that anybody would observe it the sight of his lordship would at once have removed from her mind every feeling of alarm lest he at least should remark invidiously upon her increased bulk for he had himself like father philip prospered marvellously since he at last presented his portly person before the admiring eyes of our heroine it was indeed evident that he had taken leave of his own shoestrings for ever by reason of the intervening paunch while his jocund cheeks spread widely and unrestrainedly over the cravat that formerly sustained them but nevertheless mrs o'donagough thought him almost as charming as ever and when with both arms put forward to their utmost length which just enabled the hands to reach beyond the cape and lined rotundity of his goodly person he seized cordially upon each of hers and bending himself forward contrived notwithstanding all impediments to salute her cheek she was unconscious of any alteration but for the better let it not however be supposed for an instant that mrs o'donagough's feelings were such as mr o'donagough could have disapproved nothing could be more cruelly unjust than such a suspicion it was the noble nature as well as the noble birth of the amiable peer which warmed her heart towards him 
and which made her feel more strongly than ever the immense advantage of such talents and manners as her own which had enabled her to secure for years as she subsequently observed to her husband and daughter the affectionate attachment of a nobleman whose early feelings for her were of a kind which rarely produced such an after-growth of admiration and esteem i rejoice my dear madam said the peer to see you looking so charmingly after your long absence bel corpo di bacco i hope you have not forgotten your italian bel corpo di bacco you have not lost anything since we parted last nor have you gained too much no not an atom too much you are charming charming ever sempre bellissima this is indeed a most gratifying favour my dear lord replied the fascinated and fascinating lady i cannot thank you enough for it oh my lord after an expatriation of so many years it is inexpressibly soothing to a heart like mine to find that those whom my judgment taught me most to value and my taste to admire ere i left my native land are ready to receive me with a friendly greeting on my return to it the very same the very same as ever exclaimed lord mucklebury in great delight if i were to live a thousand years my dear mrs barnaby while i remembered anything i should remember you oh lord mucklebury it would indeed be strange if feelings such as yours were not reciprocal but my kind friend forgive me if i remind you that you must no longer call me barnaby ah my dear lord the heart of a woman is destined from her birth to pant for an answering heart to feelings like mine the chill solitude of widowed loneliness was intolerable and though it is denied to us to-to forgive me i know not where my foolish memory would lead me suffice it to say my lord that soon after my last hurried interview with your lordship which as you will remember i sought for the purpose of giving you the little commission you so generously executed afterwards soon after that i discovered even before i could understand how the thing could be that i was adored by a man endowed with a thousand fine qualities after a while after a little struggle with myself to forget former feelings i yielded to his wishes and my name is now o'donagough by sun and moon i swear exclaimed lord mucklebury drawing forth a cambric handkerchief richly scented and indulging the lower part of his face by its near neighbourhood by sun and moon i swear that never since i saw you last have i met any human being that could equal you most exquisite mrs o'donagough god forbid that your amiable husband should be jealous madam ease my heart at once is this likely to be the case oh no my lord replied mrs o'donagough with expressive emphasis and a smile that seemed to say he knows my unconquerable virtue too well oh no my lord not the least jealous and it will give me more satisfaction than i can easily express if your lordship will allow me to have the honour of introducing him permit you adorable mrs o'donagough it will be like opening to me the gates of paradise upon the honour of a peer continued lord mucklebury laying his hand as near his heart as a circumjacent solidities would permit upon the honour of a peer i protest to you that an entree to your mansion is at this moment what i most greatly covet and i shall be only too happy if mr o'donagough will permit me to make his acquaintance perhaps too madonna delectissima you will suffer me for the sake of our long friendship to present my son to you i do pledge you my word that he deserves the honour for he inherits enough of his father's spirit to enjoy it my dearest lord 
your condescending kindness overpowers me i too have a young creature my only surviving child a girl my lord whom i should feel a mother's pride in showing to you she has been thought extremely like me i know not if it be so on this point my dear lord you must judge for yourself and so i will charming mrs o'donagough but if i find it so may the gods protect me i know not what is to become of my heart o'donagough o'donagough repeated the happy-looking nobleman with an air of great enjoyment may i die madam if i do not even admire your name i used to think your former one the most euphonious in the world because it softened so sweetly into barnabia you know of old my passion for the dolce linga but methinks o'donagough will undergo the same delicious process as well may i not now call you la mia magnifica odanacia his lordship paused for a moment half frightened at his own audacity as he remembered that it was just possible his charming old friend might know enough of the language of which he used to proclaim her idolatry to comprehend the delicious process rather too well but the charming smile with which she listened to him soon removed his doubts and he remained convinced that by whatever name he might choose to call her she was and ever must be the most invaluable addition to his acquaintance that he could ever hope to make their tete-a-tete however was soon brought to a conclusion by the rather boisterous entrance of patty on her return from her visit to the miss perkinses ah exclaimed mrs o'donagough here is my child my only surviving child my dear lord permit me to present her to your lordship and so saying she rose up in all her greatness moral and physical or in plainer english in all the flutter of expansive drapery and excited spirits and throwing one of her arms round the person of her daughter brought her close before the eyes of the admiring peer lord mucklebury did not rise for which his corpulency must be pleaded as an excuse but he received the radiant young lady with a smile and after looking at her for a moment drew her towards him by the hand that had been placed in his and kissed her the words lord and lordship had sufficed to enlighten patty as to the identity of the great personage who thus honoured her she knew it must be her mamma's often quoted dear friend lord mucklebury and therefore though under other circumstances it is possible she might not have felt particularly grateful for the salute she now took it in very good part and even grinned a little as she withdrew herself with a curtsey from before the condescending nobleman an extremely fine young lady indeed said his lordship and a most charming likeness of her mamma you find her like me my lord said mrs o'donagough in an accent of great tenderness ah my dear lord no mother can ever hear that without pleasure upon my honour madam replied his lordship again spreading his hand upon his breast it is impossible in this instance to say whether mother or daughter ought to feel the most flattered by hearing of the resemblance this young lady all blooming as she is may feel perfectly assured that her mother bloomed as brilliantly before her and that charming mother herself while looking on the prodigiously fine young creature to whom she has given birth may smile with twofold rapture conscious that she is gazing at once upon herself and child this fine speech rather astonished patty and she opened her great eyes and gave her mother a look that seemed to say so but mrs o'donagough with her usual happy presence of mind converted this somewhat impertinent stare into a compliment by saying ah my patty how well i understand that look you are quite right dearest 
my darling girl is peculiarly alive to the charm of graceful manners my dear lord and sweet creature she is too young to disguise what she feels sweet creature sweet creatures both cried lord mucklebury with great enthusiasm well dearest said mrs o'donagough playfully untying her daughter's bonnet and arranging the multitudinous ringlets of her black hair and how did you leave our friends oh lor there's a fine kettle of fish there mamma replied the young lady matilda is in such a way well well love we'll hear all that by and by it is such an affectionate young heart my lord where she attaches herself the slightest circumstances appear to her of consequence i hope my dear madam replied his lordship that she will speedily both feel and inspire precisely the attachment which may be most agreeable to you and herself too patty replied to this with a toss which seemed to say that all that had happened already but her mother shook her head and waved her hand as if she deprecated the awful thought alas she exclaimed she is a child my lord then abruptly turning to the young lady she said go my love go and find your father he is in the library i believe tell him that the valued friend he has so often heard me mention tell him that lord mucklebury is here patty left the room and mrs o'donagough lowering her voice which lisped a little as was usual with her when in full glory said my dear lord your suggestion which goes to my very heart from the interest it evinces in the welfare of my child your suggestion my dear lord induces me to communicate to your friendly ear a circumstance which must for the present be secret from the world my sweet girl has already child as she is inspired and conceived the attachment of which your lordship speaks and the connection is so desirable that we do not think we should be justifiable in interfering to prevent it merely on account of her youth my darling patty is engaged to sir henry seymour engaged to sir henry seymour repeated lord mucklebury interrogatively and with a look of considerable surprise do you mean sir henry seymour of hartley hall yes replied the undaunted mrs o'donagough that is the name of one of his places he is a ward of a near connection of mine sir edward stephenson certainly sir henry seymour is or rather was his ward but i did not know my dear mrs barnaby i beg your pardon your present name often escapes me i did not know that you were related to sir edward stephenson not exactly related my lord but nearly connected lady stephenson's brother general hubert is my nephew by marriage general hubert your nephew my dear madam exclaimed the peer with inexpressible astonishment upon my honour i had no idea of it it is even so my lord replied the lady a little piqued perhaps at the surprise so freely shown but greatly pleased at the sort of coup de theatre effect of the discovery while this interesting communication was making in the drawing-room patty had made her way into the library where she found her father and foxcroft in very close consultation so you are here are you said patty addressing the ex-lieutenant and accompanying the question with a very scornful grimace that did honour to the courageous firmness of her friendship for the unhappy matilda you'll find these quarters too hot for you mr captain if i don't much mistake she added for you may depend upon it i am not going to give up having my own particular friend matilda perkins here and i should be happy to know what you would think of meeting her 
i do assure you my dear young lady i should not feel the least objection in the world to meeting your amiable friend and she must have altogether mistaken my motives if she attributes anything to me which ought to occasion any coolness between us unhappily my income is insufficient to permit my marrying a lady without fortune however charming she may be but however much this may be a matter of regret on my side it surely ought not to be a matter of resentment on hers fiddle-dee-dee replied patty turning her back upon him and addressing her father i say pap said she there is my lord muckle something or other upstairs it is mamma's great friend you know that she is so often crowing about and you must come up this very minute whether you like it or not is that the message that your mother sent to me patty demanded mr o'donagough my eye no papa mamma's as soft and as sweet as the flowers in may now that she has got this lord muckle with her so come along and so i will patty but you must shake hands with foxcroft first i had rather shake hands with a toad than with a false-hearted lover said patty don't stand there talking stuff to me replied her father with the aspect that always won belief as to his being in earnest so patty shook hands with mr foxcroft who then took his departure but she relieved her feelings by performing sundry grimaces to her father's back as she followed him up the stairs nothing could be better than the style in which mr o'donagough permitted himself to be presented to the gay old nobleman and the few minutes of conversation which followed between them left exactly the impression on his lordship's mind which he intended namely that mr o'donagough was certainly a very decent sort of person though he had such a queer wife End of chapter twenty seven